This episode is sponsored by ContentFind, a premium video editing and content repurposing service for busy content creators, influencers, brands, podcasters, YouTubers, and marketers. ContentFi provides unlimited end-to-end editing and repurposing services to help you get your video and audio content edited and repurposed quickly, easily, and reliably. Join other busy content creators, founders, brands, and marketers who now spend even more time creating while they take care of the rest. You no longer need to worry about spending hours editing anymore. Just create content, build your audience, and grow your business. If you're a content creator looking to save time and money, or looking to outsource your content marketing team, get your first free video edited now at contentfi.co. If you'd like to sponsor the SaaS District podcast, or recommend any guests that you think would be valuable to be on the show, visit horizoncapital.com slash SaaS dash podcast today. Thanks again, folks. Hello, hello, everyone. This is your host, Akil Jabbar, and welcome back to another episode of SaaS District. In today's episode, we'll be talking about how the right pricing models are evolving with B2B SaaS companies. Today, we have our guest, Leith Dayad, joining us. Leith is the Chief Strategy Officer at Chargeify, a billing and revenue management platform for fast-growing SaaS businesses. He's also now the General Manager of Keen.io, which is an event streaming API for developers to enable a data-rich user experience to every product on Earth, where he actually led the acquisition process. Leith has over 20 years of enterprise software and e-commerce experience with a focus on product management and global software development. He began his technology career in the late 90s with engineering and product roles at AOL, CareerBuilder, and Network Solutions. So welcome, Leith. Super excited to have you on SaaS District Show today. Thanks for having me. Looking forward to chatting. Well, uh, Leith, can you share you know, a little bit more details about your personal background, you know, your past positions, management roles, and your journey up until being part of Chargeify and Keen, which I believe the acquisition came, uh, went into place in 2020? Yeah, just think, I mean, you name some of these old companies people don't realize, you know, still existing. Some of them probably don't. But, uh, you know, I'm kind of a web 1.0 guy. I'm old. Um, I started, you know, working in really in SaaS before it was called SaaS. So at careerbuilder.com, which is one of the first sort of online HR systems, recruiting platforms, resume platforms. And then, you know, we, we sort of helped revolutionize that industry. We were building SaaS products, you know, really early on when it was, we didn't, you didn't have the tools available that you have now from a technology perspective. So it's interesting to think back, but um, I've been in product management most of my career. You know, I worked at um, AOL back, back when AOL was sending you CDs. If you're old, you're not, you're not probably even old enough to remember that, but, but those of you that are the keel, when you used to get a CD in the mail up to load AOL. So, so really I, I've been focusing on e-commerce and product management my whole career kind of at larger companies, but also at, at startups. So I've kind of pr- progressed up the chain within product management. Uh, you know, more recently, I, I joined Scaleworks, which is a venture equity firm um, headquartered in San Antonio, Texas, founded by Ed Byrne and Lou Mormon. But uh, Scaleworks is laser focused on making what they call pro- venture venture equity investments. Uh, it's a flavor of pro- private equity in B2B SaaS companies. So laser focused on B2B SaaS. So I came into Scaleworks a little over four years ago to work with Paul Lynch, who's the CEO of Chargeify at a company called Assembla, which is a source code management tool. Um, we had a successful exit to Idera Corporation, 
Um, and then after that, Paul became CEO of Chargeify, and he, he gave me a ring and asked if I wanted to uh, get involved in this this crazy this crazy idea they had around Keen and Chargeify. So um, I came on board, getting close to two years um, on the Chargeify team, and that's kind of how I got here. It's interesting you mentioned uh, ScaleWorks. I actually just heard about them from somebody this week, and I'm actually chatting with somebody on the team uh, next week. We can check about, chat about that later. Okay, oh, um, yeah. <laughs> cool. Uh, can you tell us a little bit more about kind of leading that strategic acquisition of Kinda.io, your role as the general manager, and what was that decision-making framework from Chargeify for that acquisition? Because I feel that the different models are so different, and I mean, it's not something you typically think of uh, when you're making a strategic acquisition. You know, it's really not. Um, so I'll, I'll kind of walk you through the thought process. So Keen is a company with a fairly long history. It was founded out of San Francisco and Silicon Valley area, I think getting close to seven, eight years or so. Um, but Keen um, was, was venture backed. It got investments from the likes of Sequoia and other and other um, and other investment firms. Um, it, was, it was a startup, obviously raised uh, north of thirty million dollars over its lifespan before we acquired it at ScaleWorks. Mm-hmm. The Keen was like on the cutting edge of event data streaming. So the technology is around Apache Kafka. I won't go too techy, don't worry. But it's essentially a platform purpose built to ingest massive amounts of real time data that's streamed in, in real time, but then has the ability to store it in a non uh, relational database so you can query it and access it really, really, really fast. So you think of you know $30 million plus building out this platform. Keen had quite a bit of success uh, giving developers a way to turnkey um, implement data streaming and real-time querying to their apps. But it really pivoted towards analytics and, and, and embedded analytics, right? So it, it left the developer arena and went to the analytics arena. The um, reason I mention that is it has a really, really strong built-in analytics platform. So query engine, visualization, dashboarding, you know, and it's all in real time. It can handle billions and billions of pieces pieces of data streamed in in real time every day. So purpose built for that. Now you can see where I'm going is, well, why would a billing and subscription management tool be interested in that? Well, where B2B SaaS has already gone is around event and really usage-based billing models. So the fastest growing tech company ever, I think, you know, don't, don't quote me on that, but I think it is, is AWS. <clears throat> AWS builds a, most of its tools, a lot of its tools on, on usage. It, 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 it beat Rackspace. How did it beat Rackspace and these other hosting companies? Same servers, same internet, right? It beat them because of their model. Their model is pay for what you use. We can, we can track that in real time and charge you per CPU second, per core CPU, you know, AWS now has hundreds of products and you look at the billing models for these products and so many of them are real-time usage-based. Twilio went, was told they couldn't go public because they did not have uh, reliable uh, forecastable revenue because it was all usage-based. They're like, here, hold my beer, right? <laughs> they went into the stratosphere. So where I'm getting at is it is usage-based models. And I think we'll talk maybe to get one of the detail in a little bit of the podcast. But usage-based models have become the norm. The problem with that is for a brand new startup or somebody who hasn't hit you know, that $1 million ARR level or what have you, it's really complicated to do and to build. Uh, now I need an event streaming platform and I need a separate database and then I need to integrate with Stripe. Maybe if I don't use a purpose-built tool, it's very, very complicated. So, so we looked at that and we said, well, what if we could take something that could 
ingest massive amounts of data with sometimes hundreds of attributes per event, an event being anything that happens in your application or with your customer, um, layer a query engine and a visualization tool alongside that, and then embed it inside of Chargeify. If we could do that, we can then in turnkey say, hey, you want to charge every your customer every time you send an SMS on their behalf? You want to charge per millisecond of compile time that your DevOps tool uh, does for your customers? Great, we can do that. Just every time anything happens, use our open API, stream it in, and then in real time, it'll show up in the billing tool. You can experiment with it, you can pick and choose your attributes, and you can bill off it. So that, that was the vision of, of how we could sort of leapfrog ahead the, the competition and deliver something that took, would take years, potentially, to build um, from scratch. So that's, that's the, that was the thought. So we launched the first round of the new billing uh, capabilities last year of what we call events-based billing. Um, and it's been, it's been a great success for us. So we're really excited. So was that the thought process going into it was that, you know, there's this model that's working like this and you think by making this tweak specifically just on pricing, switching to that usage page, you'll see a, a kind of more, you know, a huge uh, kind of, uh, uh, you know, growth uh, after, after making that switch. And is that, is that what happened? Did your hypothesis stick out? Yeah, for sure. You know, customers were asking for this type of, of this. It's an it's just a flavor of usage based billing. We call it events based billing, but you know, there's other there's other flavors we we implement as well. But customers have been asking for it without knowing how to call it, what to call it. So, hey, I'm a I'm a SMS as a service provider, and it's really hard. I want to charge per SMS, but I want to change the pricing based on origin carrier. Destination carrier, origin country, destination country, whether it's um, MMS or SM, like the technology of the message, and I want I want to have these five or six different attributes in a, in a matrix all fit together, and I want the ability to analyze which combination of the of the attributes of the SMS is going to make me the most money. It's like mm. before that, that's really really hard to do. But with event-based building with Chargeify, it's actually very easy to do because you just every time an SMS is sent, you send us the list of attributes. They show up, and you, and you can do it. So, so once we started actually showing this to, to prospects and customers, we're like, oh no, that's exactly what I want to do. I just didn't know what it was called and if I could do it. So, um, you know, we did a lot of research. We talked to a lot of customers, a lot of prospects, a lot of people in the industry, a lot of investors, and vetted this hypothesis. And also looked at the market: Datadog, Twilio, AWS. The, the list goes on and on. Uh, I think you know, seven of the last ten. This is a, a couple of months old, but seven of the last ten major tech IPOs were all usage based models. Mm. So it, it, it's it's here. It's the norm, mm. um, and it's but we're democratizing it. So I'm at eight hundred thousand ARR. I'm starting to get some traction. My database is starting to crash because I'm storing all the real time event data in my transactional database, and I'm just sending stuff to Stripe. And like, I'm no. I need I need a specialized tool, so that that's where mm. we come in. It makes sense. Um, just kind of adding to that acquisition piece and kind of your plans there. Would you say there are, you know future acquisition plans for Chargeify in twenty twenty one? And if so, are there any strategic plays that you guys are really exploring? Yeah, I mean, you know, obviously we can't talk details, but I think we're always looking at being opportunistic. When you look at the billing and and subscription and revenue management space, there are a lot of potential areas to go into to expand the platform. You know, analytics is what which is what we're doing with Keen along with data streaming and data access. Um, there's interesting things around AI 
where if you're if you're if we're ingesting massive amounts of data, how can we potentially start automating the analysis of that data and using artificial intelligence to help um, customers uh, learn more about their customer product usage and their billing and all and all that kind of stuff? Um, integration platforms, right? Uh, data augmentation, where you're actually adding um, um, data enrichment to data streaming, and the world like we're now playing in the data space is to a certain extent, as well as the billing and revenue management space, because being in the data space and the integration space makes our billing solution that much more powerful. Because, listen, your, your companies you talk to, SaaS companies don't operate in little silos. They want all of their systems talking. They're using HubSpot and Salesforce and Chargerify, and they have a data warehouse and a transactional database, and they're using Churn Zero, and they're using ProfitWell, and they're using exactly. Intercom, and they're using... Right? That's that's a real thing. Like it's, I'm not exaggerating. But so... The systems all need to talk. The same information as the Salesforce should be in charge of it because those are my customers. So we're, we're, we're always working toward breaking down those silos and integrating that business data together. Cool. Is there any, any minimum criteria if anybody is you know, listening in, SaaS founder, looking for you know, maybe being you know strategic partner acquisition on your side, anything uh, minimum or something they're looking at? or No? No. Give, us no. A, <laughs> give, give me a ring, right? Just shoot me an email. We're always... We're always looking to talk to, to people and you know companies in the ecosystem. Um, you know whether it's Chargeify or you know not speaking directly for, for Scaleworks. You know Scaleworks is a great resource. Um, even going to their website and checking out the the the, the, the SaaS newsletter they put out. Cool. Um, so speaking a little bit more about Keen.io, um, can you talk about a little bit what are event data driven metrics that are that you should be paying attention to in these events and why are they important for for SaaS founders specifically? I think the earlier you implement an event-driven um, architecture to collect data, the better. So the reality is a large majority of what's going on in your app and with your customers is, is hidden. It's wasted. Like maybe you're collecting it, but probably not. You're probably using a very fragmented you know, stack. Like I was just rattling off the intercoms and the sales forces of the world. So mm-hmm. something like a Keen just makes it really, really relatively cheap and very, very fast and easy to just start collecting data okay. around everything that happens within your application, everything that happens with your with, with your customers. So that sounds very broad and generic, but an event is just like, it's just like a bunch of attributes. So let's say every time um, a customer uses a certain feature, like collect that. You can you can do mil- lots of stuff with it. You can charge them based on that usage. You can analyze for potential churn risk based on usage patterns. You can cab- gather usage data and send it over to your Salesforce, your HubSpot, so you have a clearer picture of your customer. There's just so many things you can do, but it, but building it yourself and sending the same data to lots and lots of places all at once is incredibly inefficient and expensive and risky. So I think if I'm a SaaS founder. Starting from scratch and using something like Keen that could be foundational to be event-driven as a company um, could, could be a real advantage. Being event-driven means not only showing real-time information in your app, but also being able to get granular on your pricing model, on alerting around churn risks, alerting around potential upgrade opportunities based on customer usage patterns. There's all kinds of really cool stuff you can do. If you wait, if you, if you wait and wait and wait and wait and wait, it gets harder. You lose a lot of data and you you lose a lot of time. I think the, the earlier you are in the life cycle of a company, the more um, able you need. To, you need to be more able to be agile, meaning 
okay, we thought we were in this category. <laughs> That's not working. We need to change our message. And if we change the category and the message, we need to change the pricing model. Or what most companies do is they undercharge for their service. You become more mature. They're like, whoa, we need to, we need to raise our prices. Um, how, do we, you know, how do we optimize our install base and start asking for more money? Um, having really detailed usage data going back for all your customers help, makes that be an easier sell, so to speak. When you say, hey, I know you were at 400 a month. We're taking you to 600 here. Why? Like, those are the things SaaS companies, as they start hitting inflection points, need to be, need to be thinking about. Right. Um, hmm. And you mentioned kind of churn uh, data. I think you know, churn is one of the most important problems or metrics you know, every B2B SaaS founder needs to, to, to pay attention to, they struggle with. Uh, and as an expert, you mentioned they should be also thinking about strice, sorry, pricing strategically to reduce churn. How and why should they be thinking, thinking about you know, their focus on pricing to optimize churn? And I wonder how that was affected when you guys made that shift on your side. Did you guys see any change on churn specifically when you made that, that change in pricing model? Yeah, I mean, potentially, yeah. I mean, pricing, pricing is huge. And I think, you know, particularly with um, developer-driven tools, really sort of high-tech high tools, the technology changes really, really quickly. The competitive landscape can change really, really quickly. So products and services that once demanded a huge premium now our table stakes are really, really cheap. And where I'm getting at is, you know, customers that were willing to pay, I'm making this up, you know, $800 a month for, for a certain platform or su- suddenly have more options. Maybe it's easier to build on your own. Maybe it's a, a competitor is doing something similar for $200 a month, right? So I think, again, you need, you need to look at your pricing and you need to be able to evolve, evolve and bob and weave, so to speak, really, really quickly. Um, because your competitors are going to come and eat your lunch, right? I mean, things change quick. Things that used to cost a lot of money are now free, just in general. So, um, so pricing is a big lever uh, to, to to battle churn. Um, but you know what goes along with that is how you how you market the value of your product, right? And, and, and in some cases, I think companies are too willing to to slash their prices or get free months or you know do churn mitigation on price where you know. You need to also spend time um, working with your prospects and your customers on showing the actual value of your product, mm. right? Um, again, it's it's more common to undercharge than overcharge for your product sometimes when you're younger as a company. So, mm. um, but but you know, going back to the evolution, you you need you need to evolve your pricing model too, right? So, where where it might have been a per seat. Uh, per seat model, or you know, a per, just a flat per month in the industry. Again, it's it's now all evolving to usage based models. Uh, a lot of in a lot of markets, customers are now getting used to just paying for what they use. Why do I need to pay you eight hundred dollars a month? I want to pay you a tenth of a cent per second, um, right? So, so having a kind of a dinosaur pricing model um, it can. Definitely hurt hurt your growth and, and cause churn because again, it's a. It, I don't care if you're in marketing automation tools, DevOps tools, you know, sales intelligence. It doesn't matter like what SaaS subcategory you're in. Pricing models and the pricing model customers want changes really quickly. And like I said, I'm not just saying this because we do usage based models really well. The sure. entire industry is going to usage based models. Um, and if you're not able to evolve and change your models and, and do it in a way to experiment, do it quickly. Um, you'll get left behind. Mm. So I guess the the point there is, you know, 
continues to change, continuously to test, continues to optimize, and don't stick to your to your old model thinking that it's work just because it's working. That's the best uh, kind of model to 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 optimize your churn. Yeah. Absolutely. I mean, what worked a year ago may not work now. And again, you got to be really cognizant of the looking outside your walls and see where where where, where are the similar markets or where are your competitors going. It's also talking to your customers um, and understanding how are they getting used to paying. Like if you talk to like a developer CTO, they're they're used to paying per well. When I used I I pay Datadog eight thousand a month. That's all usage based. I pay AWS you know tens of thousands a month. That's all usage based. Why are you guys charging me for seats? So um, you know you you've got to be you got to be in the position to move quickly on these things. And again, if you're building it in house. You're building solution in house. You're going to be in a world of hurt. Again, I'm not just saying that because I'm charged by like with a with a purpose built tool. You can stand up new billing models nearly overnight. Um, we're launching a new experimentation tool later in the year that lets you actually implement side by side in a staging sort of way a different pricing model mm-hmm. side by side with your live one and, and like. So you can experiment. Well, I, I think I should change the way I, I, I charge, but how do I know without doing it? And that's going to take me months. And like that could crush your business. So being able to experiment, uh, I think, is, is critical as well. Can you share any of those? Like, have you guys ran different kind of pricing tests or experiments with whether Chargeify, Keen, or other kind of uh, companies um, that helped kind of reduce churn and any values on net increase of, of the business that uh, what that led from that experiment? Yeah, I mean, not necessarily like specific values I can share with you, but um, you know, I think um, experimenting with different models based on, on on the market is key. I'll give you an example with Keen. We, we we totally changed our pricing model around last year because we realized that it's particularly developers and startups, you know, technology focused startups. They want to pay for what they use, but they also want to ramp up their usage, right? So we're like, hmm, okay. So, and you'll see this a lot in different, different, different SaaS products. It, it's free up to a certain period. It's free up to a certain volume of usage. So for example, with Keen, it's free for, I'll make this up, 50,000 events streamed and 1,000 queries. Right. It'll always be free. But, when, but once you go over a certain, um, a certain level, you pay as you go. And you can do that forever if you want. But after a certain point, it's more expensive to pay as you go. And it's better to go into a higher tier that includes usage and has overages. So you need to do the data analysis to help try to draw your customers up into the higher and higher tiers. You know, we always, we always um, preach about usage based models, but customers sometimes want predictable you know, predictable costs. So you can kind of blend the two models to say, listen, if you stayed on pure pay as you go, Here's the chart. If you once you go over a million events, it's way more expensive for you to stay pure a la carte. Why don't you go into this plan that's X hundred or X thousand a month that includes some usage, but then lets you pay overages in real time? So again, to do that is really you need a tool that gives you the flexibility to implement these blended sort of models, and that helps not only mitigate churn but also helps onboard new customers. Mm, yeah, it makes sense. Yeah. Yeah. Mm. Yeah. But, but the, yeah, it's things like that that we're doing it to experiment. I think with our new experimentation tool that'll come out, um, it'll again it'll, it'll speed time to market and let you validate your assumptions. If you're, you know, if you if you're an SMS as a service CEO, 
and founder. You know, you're an expert in that. Your, your, your assumptions are probably pretty spot on, but you don't really know that. So if you want to start charging different rates based on carrier network or based on country, um, because you know it'll optimize your costs and potentially customers would be willing to pay more for this premium service you're offering on international text. Then wouldn't it be nice to go back and look at the last year of usage and extrapolate and actually see in the tool the changes? Mm-hmm. Um, right? So it, it's, those, it's those sorts of things that a, a very, very large SaaS company that has 50 to 100 data scientists working for it, you know, one in each little marketing team can go and run these analyses for you, right? But if you're, if you're a, you know, 10, 20, 30, 50 person startup, that's a lot of work. You don't, you don't have necessarily dedicated resources to do like crazy regression analyses on pricing. You want your billing tool just to do it for you. And that's, that, those, that, that's our, that's our mindset around, uh, around Chargify. Mm, very cool. I mean, uh, yeah, I mentioned. Uh, I think we talked at the beginning of the show. I know uh, Patrick from from uh, Profitwell. Uh, we've had him as a guest as well. If people ha- haven't checked him out. Should check out that episode. And we also talk a lot about more more about churn and a little bit about pricing as well. Um, what are some other pricing trends that people should be kind of keeping an eye on that and that rely on strong data? So, you know, you mentioned usage bright uh, usage pricing and event based billing. Any others that we should uh, mm-hmm. look at? Yeah, absolutely. So usage based models, usage-based billing is like the umbrella. Think of usage-based billing as an umbrella. It's anything having to do with charging on usage. Now, the, mm-hmm. the, the, the simplest one is every time you send an SMS, you pay a cent. Great. Mm-hmm. Well, there's a lot of flavors of that, right? And again, these are things because we're you know, laser focused on B2B SaaS, we build them out of the box. So a model that's becoming very prominent is uh, what we call prepaid usage-based. So in other words, you fund your customer funds their account with five hundred dollars, and then based on your the rate engine you, you set up in Chargeify. So let's let's use the SMS example because it's simple. It's one cent per SMS sent. In real time, er, the, instantly when an SMS is sent, we we know about it because you're streaming the data in real time, and it draws down your account in real time. As soon as you hit a threshold, it re-ups you. It's like if you're doing like a toll, automated toll thing in your car, it automatically re-ups you to 500 bucks. Why that's compelling? A, customers want it. They want to only, they want to, they're okay with funding their account, but it also protects you as a business because if you don't, if they don't pay, you need to be able to know that and cut off their access to the platform immediately because you're on the hook for the SMSs. Mm. <laughs> like you're paying because, for that. So, yeah. <laughs> It, it, it's 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 a it's protection. It's risk mitigation for your business. So prepaid subscription, what we call pre not prepaid, prepaid usage. Uh, we launched that uh, towards the end of uh, last year, second half of last year, and that we've had we've had a huge response um, for that because again, it's just out of the box. Um, prepaid prepaid is huge. Um, event event based billing again, the, the real time event based billing. I, I've talked to death about that, but um, that that that's been that's we've had a lot of traction for that, particularly with developer tools, cloud database tools, anything that requires large matrices of variables and a massive amount of usage data. So, if you're a cloud provider that does, we have customers that do uh, video rendering services in the cloud. They want to charge based on cores of CPUs, numbers of CPUs, where the data center is, what type of video card blah, blah, blah. And they want to charge it down to the second. And they can, they, they, when they realize all they have to do is just stream the data and it happens, uh, 
they love it. So those kinds of models um, are, are, are the biggies for us. Very cool. Um, so I, lo- I love that you know, using pricing as, as a growth lever as, as part of your overall kind of growth strategy. Can you share any other growth experiments maybe you've been focus on, focusing on at Keen has worked well and maybe you plan to double down on going into 2021 since, since the acquisition? Yeah, I mean, I think I, I hit on sort of like the ability to, to experiment with different sign-up methods. So I think laser focusing on the whole kind of trial and onboarding aspect of the customer lifecycle is something I consider like a, a growth, le- growth lever. Um, try before you buy, right? Matching the market sentiment for how they want to buy. So selling when, when Keen was, as an example, when Keen was customer facing metrics, meaning I'm a product manager, I want to embed real time analytics in my, in my platform. And Keen can do that. Well, we were selling to product managers. So product managers have a requirement. Oh, I want customer facing metrics. They go to their CTO. The CTO is like, I don't have time to build this thing. Go find something and buy it. We're selling to a product manager. Very different than selling to a senior architect or a developer co-founder, which is, I want to log in. I want to view the documentation. I want a free account that I can actually use in production. And if I need help, I'll let you know. But don't, Mr. SDR, Mrs. SDR, don't don't call me. I don't like talking to people. I'm, I'm oversimplifying. But the point is, so we had to, when we pivoted away from customer-facing metrics towards an event data management tool, Competing with the likes of Confluent and some of the AWS uh, tools, we needed to have the sign up and the onboarding and the sales process match the persona, which is sign up for free, limit my usage uh, based on volume, give me full access to the platform, give me lots of self service documentation, and go from there. So those are those are areas that I would highly you know you, you you've got to consider. Um, especially as you kind of pivot your, your business. Um, just in terms of, uh, so you, you, I guess you're more or less of uh, the actual kind of top of the funnel, middle of the funnel, seems like you're more focused on kind of that activation phase of getting people more engaged, right? Um, if, if that's correct, right? Yeah, if I understand your question. Yeah, activation is key, right? Signing up for a free trial is one thing, using it is quite another. So I, I definitely... Um, recommend focusing on building out a model for what an activated trial if you're if you're in a trial thing for your business what is the model you need to build for an activated trial meaning what are the things a potential customer do within the trial that signal purchase intent for Keen, it is I'm actually streaming data in. I can sign up and look at the documentation. If I don't actually send data into the Keen platform, I'm probably not going to buy it because if I'm not willing to go to the trouble of even testing it, why am I going to buy it? So um, definitely do the analysis and build out a model that you could say, okay, people that come into our platform and do this or low, medium, and high intent to buy and automate that. Whether you're using sending it to Intercom or you know we did that at Assembla, build out the model based on your observations. Don't build out the model and then hope people do it, right? Actually look at who bought and what they did in the trials and build out a scoring model for your trials, um, right? Because there's a lot of other aspects too. There's acquisition channel. Your Google PPC might perform way better than Facebook or Instagram ads. Like we've seen dramatic changes in activation based on 
channel. Like Stack Overflow is where developers go. If somebody's interested in Keen from Stack Overflow, they're probably a developer and they're probably going to sign up and they're probably going to activate and they're probably going to buy. If we do re, like some retargeting and I'm showing you Keen on Instagram, like probably not where developers are shopping. Um, I'm not saying they don't use Instagram, but they're not shopping there. So we're very, spend a lot of focus, a lot of time on the activation um, stage for sure. Love it. Love it. Um, Leith, uh, kind of switching gears here, moving into the rapid fire questions, a little bit more personal. Um, starting hey. off, what's, <laughs> what's one piece of advice you wish you had known and would tell maybe, say, your 25 year old self or starting off your kind of entrepreneurial journey? Oh, gosh. <laughs> Don't do so many stupid things when you're 25 years old. Um, honestly, I, I would say like you have to spend the time and the effort like asking questions, looking for mentors. I think I, you know, I, I think I think folks underestimate the willingness of people more senior in their careers or people with different skill sets, uh, particularly like tech in the technology industry, the willingness to help and mentor. Like you, you got, you got to go. You got to like take take the reins of your career and your life into yourself. And look for people you look up to that that you think you learn a lot from and proactively reach out from. Hey, you know, I'm really looking to bounce ideas off you. I'm looking to I'm talking around mentorship. Would you like to go get a can I, can I take you out for a cup of coffee or get on a Zoom call during COVID? Most of the time, folks are going to be flattered. Like, wow, this 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 person's a, a go getter. Like, so ask for help, find mentors, reach out. And when you network, like make meaningful connections. Don't just spam people on LinkedIn or like go to the happy hours. Like make meaningful uh, network connections. I think I think not only to get business ideas and to grow your business if you're an entrepreneur, it, but also for your your personal development and your career development. I think that's that, that's that's key. Makes sense. For younger and, you know, speaking of speak, speaking about mentors, um, you know, who or what would you say are the best three resources? It could be books. Could be mentors, could be people you follow, who you'd say have been instrumental to your success over these last few years. Yeah, I, I've definitely gotten more into business folks over the last four years, particularly since joining ScaleWorks. Um, we and, and and Paul Lynch, who's who's my boss and, and it's also been a mentor, um, and, and the team at ScaleWorks loves certain books. And what well, we use book clubs as a means to break through business problems and, and, and kind of think about business problems differently during certain inflection points of the business and what have you. So some of the books we've used and that I love, that I recommend to everybody are um, the Jim Collins books, Good to Great and Built to Last are two books. They're kind of like sequel, one's a sequel and another, so to speak. Good to Great is incredible when you're struggling with focus for the business, struggling on your category, struggling on what you should really laser focus on. Um, built to last, same way, when you're looking at your team and leadership and hiring, what makes a, a good company, built to last is awesome. Uh, so love those two books. The other one we, 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 we preach is Play Bigger. I don't, rec I don't recall the author off the top of my head, but it's a very well-known book. Play Bigger is really focused around category design. I think, that, I think when you're talking about mature businesses that are looking to pivot and change, um, you know, good to great is, is maybe a little bit, a little bit more applicable. But if you're if you're just starting out or you have a startup, read Play Bigger. Play Bigger is always about it's about inventing or creating a category, the cat and being a category king. 
right? You don't have to invent some new technology and like invent a new way to get to the moon and stuff. It, it's it's defining a cat. Maybe it's an existing product or service, but defining the problem in a different way. It makes you unique, right? Um, having that category, and, and, and I think if you're not really like if you're listening or watching, you're not really familiar with that concept. You're going to start looking around at really really successful SaaS companies. And a lot of them that have that have broken out of very competitive spaces, reframed the strategy and, and really invented a category. And that's what caused them to 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 break to break loose and break free. So play bigger is play bigger is awesome. Um, cool. Play bigger. I've never read that book, but uh, I'm gonna I'm gonna get that today. And add, we'll add that to the show notes as well for 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 people to check that out. Yeah, play bigger is awesome. Definitely. Like listen to it or read it. <laughs> <laughs> Definitely yeah. will. Uh, Late. what are some of the biggest challenges you're currently facing in order to continue to grow keen? Meaning, what keeps, keeps you up at night these days? I mean, it sounds cheesy, but the competition, right? And what, what I mean by that is we're in... When we talk about event data platforms and event data streaming, it's an area of application development and infrastructure that is becoming very mainstream. Um, and there are there are there are a lot there's a lot of investment dollars flowing into it. Confluent is is a is a multi billion dollar valuation company in that space. A company called Aven A I V E N just raised like I just got on my Crunchbase daily email just raised a hundred million round, and they do a lot around um, event data streaming, Apache Kafka pipelines, which is what Keen does. So, I mean, certainly the amount of focus and investment competitors are getting certainly keeps me up at night, right? And not to say. It's an arms race, and like more money doesn't mean better service, better product, better, better, better growth. But um, it, it gives you some advantages potentially. So certainly that keeps me up at night. Um, just having to keep up with the speed of innovation. I think the other thing is just general business is hiring, like finding the right people. Like I get you know I, getting into the the, the built to last and, and good to great books. You know, getting the right people on the bus, getting the right folks right. on your team that share your vision. Um, is actually more important than just having really talented people that know technology really well. So I, I, I've seen a massive upward pressure as far as salaries and competitiveness and hiring in the last year, particularly as more and more companies have gone 100 percent remote. Right. Uh, you're now com- like your 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 good employees are now they can now look for jobs in Seattle and. Washington, <laughs> San Francisco, it doesn't matter. Like the, the universe of companies for every role is now, is now huge. So certainly uh, finding and, and retaining great people, you know, you know, that fit the culture, have great integrity and great skills is that, that's, that keeps me up at night for sure. Absolutely. Yeah. People's always like one, the number one answer for, for everybody. I know. Yeah. But uh, really the yeah, last I, year, but the last year it's changed. In fact, um, this, the CEO of Microsoft, uh, Sadia Natal just posted on LinkedIn today, and this is you know March 25th when we recorded this. Uh, a study that Microsoft did around the dramatic changes in the workplace and hiring that that have really happened in the last 12 months. So definitely, definitely check out his LinkedIn. Hmm. Yeah, it's interesting where you know that remote uh, kind of option used to be like the, like the differentiator and get people interested to apply, but now it's like you know it's, it's a lot harder to you know to, to attract yep. those top guys. Absolutely. Offering that. <laughs> yeah. So late, late, what does success mean to you today? Whether that's personally, financially, business, life, there's, there's no right answer, but how do you define <laughs> success now? I mean, my life changed dramatically two years ago when, when my wife and I had our first, our first child. So success now to me means 
um, you know, being fulfilled in, you know, in the personal life as much, if not more than, you know, the business life, your, your priorities shift a little bit. You want to be fulfilled, you know, in your, in your professional career. And certainly you want the financial stability to live the lifestyle, lifestyle that you want. But to me, it's certainly pivoted more towards, um, having quote unquote work life balance and the flexibility to spend time with my family and do things with my friends. Um, um, in a more flexible manner. So that, that's, that's really what success means to me. Having, having the lifestyle I want to have versus purely money and purely like ladder climbing, which, um, you know, we, I've been guilty of that in the past for sure. Yeah, sure. But, you know, priorities change as you, as you, as your life, life situation changes. Yeah, I think that that kind of follows suit. You mentioned Jim Collins, and I think he he takes that measure in terms of how he measures success each and every day, which is, you know, how much time he spends with loved ones and people, you know, family, friends, and then, you know, being into flow or doing actual work that you enjoy, right? So I think you kind of uh, categorize it. It's crazy. Just to to close that point, my my brother, he's the CEO of of a publicly traded company, and I talked to him yesterday on the phone just catching up. He said, I have not been on an airplane in 13 months, and I love it. I don't miss it one bit. He would he would travel sometimes two or three times a week, if not you know every other week, multiple times all over the country and then all over the world. And you you get so used to that. You you have your you have your clear pass with the, they scan your retina and you go through security. You, you mm-hmm. just I used to be a road a road warrior, and you get so used to that. And you realize how terrible it is to be away from home to live your life in the airports and Ubers. I think the last, mm-hmm. if anything, the last year has taught, taught me and, and some of my loved ones is, wow, it's great to not travel. <laughs> like, for work, Sometimes it's okay. Yeah, that's true. That's true. <laughs> anyway. <laughs> Love it. Thank you, Leif. Yeah. This has been great. I yeah. appreciate you jumping on, on yeah, uh, SAS District Show today, sharing all, all your knowledge. Um, where can our founders get in touch with you, learn more about you and, kind of, and Keen if they're interested in trying it out as well? Yeah, I mean, obviously, Keen.io, you can send me an email, Laith, L-A-I-T-H, at Keen.io, or, you know, stalk me on LinkedIn and, and shoot me a message and, you know, mention, mention the podcast so I don't, I don't delete it. And thank you, and, you know, BDR spamming me on LinkedIn and uh, <laughs> happy to connect, happy to, you know, chat. I'm always looking to, to make connections with entrepreneurs. Cool. Thank you so much, Laith. I appreciate you. All right. Thanks, Akil. Have a wonderful day. Thank you all for listening in to this episode and joining SAS District today. Don't forget to leave a review and subscribe for future episodes where we interview top leaders in the SaaS industry. If you're a SaaS company looking to grow and unlock the true value of your business, get in touch with us at horizoncapital.com and myself or one of our consultants will provide a free assessment to help you get there and hit your goals. If you have any feedback or suggestions for this podcast, please DM us on Instagram or LinkedIn at Horizon Capital and help us improve our content for you all. Thanks again and hope to see you on the next one.